Rena Striegel. Welcome to Ag Inspo, the podcast that focuses on innovation and creativity in agriculture. In my travels across the U.S., my mind is blown by the farmers, ranchers, and business owners who are contributing to the richness of the agricultural landscape. My hope is that by sharing their stories, you will be inspired to have the courage to break through and bring an idea you have to life. Hi, everybody. I'm very excited today to be talking to George Crave. George and his family own a diversified operation in Wisconsin, and that probably doesn't take much for you to figure out that one of the things that they do is produce milk, and another thing that they produce is cheese. Well, we're going to be talking to George today about how he and his family made the decision to diversify and get into cheese production and some of the decisions that they had to make in order to get to where they are today now, 20 years later. So with that, welcome to the Ag Inspo podcast, and let's welcome George. George, it is great to have you on Ag Inspo today. I am super excited to interview you and have everybody hear your story. So why don't we just start by, why don't you give us a little bit of history of the Crave Brothers operation and kind of bring us up to speed about where you're at today. Sure. Well, I'm George Crave. I'm president of Crave Brothers Farmstead Cheese. I've been farming as a Crave brother for about 43 years. Uh, my dad milked 35 cows in Beloit, and he sold his cows in 1974 when I was about a sophomore in high school. And we worked for a few neighbors and, and worked around for a couple of years, and we were lucky to get started up again in 1978 on a small farm. Uh, three years later, 1980, we moved to Waterloo, our current address in Waterloo, which is just east of Madison. We're out here with our 80 cows, and today, 40 short years and thousands of long days, we are now farming about 3,000 acres, and we milk 2,200 cows, and have about 1,300, 1,400 head of young stock. About 20 years ago, when I, after farming for 20 years, I said, you know, kind of not that milking cows is boring, but I pretty much had to figure it out. And I just couldn't see doing it for another 20 years. And so did a lot of phone calls, did a lot of nosing around, built our own on-farm cheese factory in 2001. Uh, February of 2002, we pumped our first milk over here. So we've been at it for 18 years now. Uh, now we use about 150,000 pounds of milk a day, which is about three semi-loads of milk make fresh mozzarella, mascarpone, queso Oaxaca, and Wisconsin. That's what we do. My wife, Debbie, joined in 2001. She left her job in Madison, uh, brought a lot of experience in marketing and contacts with her when she came home, and we sat at the kitchen table and developed our label and developed our story before we even poured dirt and had cement. So we, we built a cheese factory before I even had a market. So it was a leap of faith. People say that was a leap of faith. And I look back, yeah, was, you can call it a leap of faith or a leap of leap of uh, arrogance or a leap of stupidity, whatever you want to call it. But we took it and here we are 18 years later. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, I think most entrepreneurs can definitely understand the the itch that comes when you're feeling like you've mastered something, when you have, you know, kind of reached a pinnacle <laughs> in one industry and want to spin off into another but talk a little bit about how you determined that cheese was the way to go. Well, I did a lot. We looked at genetics for the, the cow herd genetics and maybe do working with some of the artificial insemination companies. We had some conversations going there and that never really developed. 
and really looked at really long term was that a was that a fly in the night type of an opportunity and we already had a, a large family business with the, the four brothers that we were, are in business with and really wanted to say is it, you know we have enough partners already we should be able to do something internally with our business so, uh, made a lot of phone calls again, talked to a lot of the local grocery stores. Is it going to be yogurt? Is it organic? Is it uh, whatever the, the market may be looking for? And after putting it all together and tearing it apart, putting it back together a few times, we decided to make cheese. Cheese we can sell nationally. We can sell cheese from Miami to Seattle. Transportation, logistics, everything else is involved. Uh, I weighed all that in and decided to get a cheese with so talk a little bit about, so you decide, you build, but you did not have any experience making cheese. So talk about the journey to actually be able to produce the product. You had the facilities, but no knowledge about how to actually produce cheese. Right. So talk about right. that a little bit. Well, we knew that this was a big step forward professionally. Uh, you know, we all know what farmering means. We know that you can kind of figure it out or you can you know, Baylor twined it together. And we knew this was not going to be that type of a, an operation. So we knew we had to really up our game professionally and really invest in, in professional people. So we went out and hired a cheesemaker right off the bat before we were even had the cement was dry and uh, brought Kurt Primo in at his science degree as a farm boy from just up the road here. And he, uh, he was kind of in the middle of moving or staying locally. And we were really fortunate and blessed to have Kurt come and work for us. And he's still with us 18 years later. And uh, he brought that, well, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're, and another uh, real asset we have in Wisconsin is we have Center for Dairy Research right here in Madison, which they're just a phone call away. We can drive in. We can talk about it. I can take them cheese or they can come out here and we'll do some Because cheese making is fairly technical. Mm -hmm. And so not only making it, but then also packaging it and marketing it. We can always make something. We can make bacon. We can make pigs. We can make a T-bone steak. But who's gonna? How are we gonna market it, package it, and distribute it? That's the that's the real uh, next step in the business. So then, talk a little bit about that learning curve. You know how you took the product to market. Did you start with the local grocery stores, or did you actually try to find, you know, a a different avenue to take the cheese into the marketplace? Well, through Debbie's experience, we, we knew, met a few cheese distributors and marketers and partnered with them before we even thought about building the cheese factory. And they suggested the type of cheese to make. And we looked at it and researched it. We made the cheese. They sold it. And we, we just like a lot of businesses, you kind of really start out crawling and going slow and making a few mistakes. And a few, few years after going along, we uh, finally got some momentum and grew 20% and then another 20% and, and pretty soon had, had some nice momentum going. And a matter of fact, only just three years we opened in 2005, we added on. Then again in 2007, we added on to the building again. And now just last year, uh, 2017, we put a, another large addition on the cheese factory. So today we have 45 employees. They say we make about 17, 18,000 pounds of cheese a day. Uh, it all goes in eight ounce and 12 ounce packages. So you do the math and pretty soon we're making 30,000 different packages of cheese a day that do get distributed nationally. That's amazing. So, you know, so you've obviously figured out how to get the product out there, but along the way, you've also become extremely excellent at what you do. 
So talk a little bit about, you know, the, you know, as you listened carefully to customers, you actually created a internationally recognized product. So talk a little bit about the journey of not only, you know, finding a great use for the milk, but you've also become incredibly excellent in the marketplace due to listening to customers. Talk a little bit about the relationship you have to them. Well, it's important to have a relationship with the customers and distributors. Really, we sell to distributors, the end customers, the person that's putting in their grocery cart or the chef that's, that's putting it on, on a plate in a restaurant. That's the ultimate customer and the, and the consumer. But really, to get those to those customers, it's all through distribution. And we're really selling a lot of our products through distributors that they're, they buy it from us and their responsibility is taking to their sales force in Atlanta, Georgia, or Portland, Oregon. They take it out. They start jobbing it or selling it to the restaurants and the, the distributors or the grocery stores in their area. So we've been fortunate that we do live in Wisconsin again, where this is a big business in Wisconsin, having different cheese salespeople and distributors. So we've been able to partner with three or four of those those uh, distributors that have been very good for us to get all the different, uh, one customer might, might just take the fresh mozzarella, another customer just handles the, the uh, cheese curds, and another distributor just handles the case of Oaxaca. So we have those different relationships with people. And there again, then we're the manufacturer. For me, I always looked at our business should be in manufacturing and not just be a little hobby or a little, little kitchen table type of cheese factory. When we decided to do this, it was going to be, that it was going to be real value to the overall family business. That's, that's, that was our goal from the beginning and it still is. Yeah. So, you know, talk a little bit about that because along the way you've created a very compelling story around your family and around your farming business in, you know, not only just that, you know, you take excellent care of your cattle, but then you've also done some really innovative things in terms of, you know, producing energy with the cattle. So talk just a little bit because it's not just that you created another way to handle the milk product, but you've also used other products that come off the farm to create value. Right. Well, we, we do farm 3000 acres, uh, grow just primarily the feed. And it's really only about half the feed we need to feed a cow. It takes about three acres worth of feed to feed a, a cow and a replacement calf and heifer. Uh, so that's really six, six to 7,000 acres of feed that we will use here in the course of a year that we'll bring in from hay from Nebraska, brewer's grain from Milwaukee, or malt sprouts from Minneapolis. So, so we'll bring in all those different products and build, blend up our ration, feed the cows. Uh, and I tell people when we feed a cow, it's with, for the five M's. We fear for maintenance, meat, milk, manure, and we take it a step further and make methane out of it. We have a methane digester on the farm where all the waste from the farm and the cheese factory go into and a large generator that's powered off of the methane, not gasoline or diesel, that generates enough electricity to power the farm cheese factory in about 300 homes in our community. I don't like to use the term story. That's what we do. That's our action item every day. Mm-hmm. Walt Disney had stories with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and, <laughs> and, and Dumbo and, and uh, you know Bambi. Those are stories. This is our action every day that we do. So we produce electricity. We produce about 630 kilowatts per hour, which is enough to run a home for an entire month. So you do the math and we, can, we generate enough electricity to power 700 homes. But, but a lot of the power goes to the farm and the cheese factory. That's amazing. So as a result of that, I think you've got a, a green certification, I believe, for, for your operation. Right. Right. We've, 
I tell people we've been green before green was groovy. Uh, most people don't know what groovy is anymore. <laughs> really cool if you don't know that. But uh, uh, Debbie developed a logo with a cow with a with a little tail that she's swishing that has a a green leaf on the end of her tail. Her switch is a uh, green leaf. So we and we it says produce with renewable energy. And it's just becoming more and more important that we tell our story of what we do out here, our action items that we do every day from the crops to the cows, cheese to the consumer. So that's what we we talk about when you come in to Craig Brothers or when we're out talking about our business. It's always about we'll tell, talk about our crops to the cows, cheese to the consumer. At the end of the year, it all comes off the fields and it's left over is returned back to the fields to grow next year's crops. Farmers are the original recyclers. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, talk a little bit just around, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are looking for innovative ways to you know, create value out of what they're already doing. So you've created value out of, you know, taking your milk and pumping it over to the cheese factory and turning it into product. Talk a little bit about the early days of those decisions. Like what did it take in terms of, you know, creative thinking and brainstorming and, and just sort of even just like being brave. I mean, you've, you're, you're farming with four siblings, you know, it's a, a group of four of you and now you've got the next generation coming in you know, what does it take in terms of, you know, just sort of your critical thinking to be able to do something different than what you've already done? Because you were already farming and producing milk for many years before you decided to innovate and produce cheese. Right. So talk a, a little bit about those early days and the mindset around that. Yeah. Well, the early days was always about just, just growing a, a better herd. I'm asked many times, is this your goal to develop the type of business we have? And I said, no, early on, my goal was to have a hundred really good cows because I really love cows. And, and looking around, I guess I'm successful. I do have a hundred really good cows now. So, <laughs> but I got bored. I guess boredom, you would say, Rena, is that um, most entrepreneurs do get bored and they're looking for the next thing. And if this is good, then there's always a better way. I'm always about, there's ways to do things, but there's usually the, the, the best way. I'm for the best way to do things and we did that with the cows and the crops and now with the cheese and it just wasn't making cheese but it had to be a high value cheese because just cheddar and and uh, mozzarella is is making cheese but then there it still guarantee uh financial uh rewards so we're making cheese that that other people don't make much of and we are the size scale the business now to the size where we can service many of the major customers in the country without uh, putting us under or getting pulled around. I learned early on that you don't want to go whale fishing in a rowboat, which means if you hook up a whale, they're going to pull you all over the place and you're no longer in charge. And one thing in the running a business is you always want to be in charge of your business. Your employees won't appreciate it. Your banker certainly doesn't appreciate it. You can't sleep at night, then you don't appreciate it either. So you always want to have size to to control your business yeah so it's it's very obvious that you're very visionary you're a visionary thinker you look out in advance of something and try to anticipate where the market might take you do you feel like you as a team as a leadership team at that time were all on the same page about that or did you have to work through some resistance in order to get kind of everybody on board for you know really entering into a fairly large unknown at that time yeah sure it really was a large unknown and and uh, almost to the point of being naive about about how easy it was going to be 
you know, we, we see this in a lot of agriculture because we can grow hay or corn. We think we can raise livestock or we can start a dairy farm. And uh, uh, just because we have milk, we think we can add a value to the milk and make bottle it or make yogurt or make cheese. And it's an entirely different step along the way of the entire uh, food chain. Uh, and so, so I was naive, but I did a lot of research and I think I made initially most of the right decisions by not getting into bottled milk and not, not making ice cream and things like that. Patience is very important when you start out also. Have a game plan, have finances in line that, that uh, the first year or two, uh, the, the cash flow is only one way, always the wrong way. And so you want to make sure that there's enough financial backing either through the business and the bank that, that can carry this side of the road. Mm -hmm. What would you say has been your biggest challenge, you know, in, you now have, you know, many years of success under your belt, but where, where do you feel were your major points of challenge along this journey? I think early on was really, really being willing to ask enough questions. Not uh, probably my biggest fault was I had too much confidence and a little naive to, to not call a timeout and say, hold it, we have to have a meeting here. We have to, we have to bring in a few experts and talk things over sooner than later, you know, and I probably waited too long on a few of those, a few of those decisions looking back. I try not to look back too much, but, but realistically, you know, lessons learned. And if I have a problem, I'll get on the phone and call someone or have a meeting and people from the office and people from the back room and, and, and my, my production guys or family members and say, hey, we're having an issue. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, they're really good at construction. Uh, so, so now instead of me taking on construction projects and remodeling at the cheese factory, I turn that over from him and he, he makes the phone calls and heads that up. So I'm no longer trying to do it all over here, which was probably one of my uh, mistakes early on, trying to be too independent. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned that you wish you would have maybe called people in sooner to help. When you're starting a new venture inside of, you know, an operation that's already up and functioning, what do you believe are kind of the key professionals that you need to have at the table to help you launch a new idea or a new venture successfully? Mm -hmm. Well, I think if you're going to take a, a product to the market, knowing what the market is and look at, uh, do some traveling, talk to people at trade shows, uh, get out, go to, go to, you know, your best education is going to a grocery store. Uh, you always think you have a good idea and you go to a grocery store and there's a lot of good ideas in grocery stores or in supermarkets and, and it's all happening. So someone's out there behind all those, those good ideas and those great products. So if you have a, an idea that you think can, can get some wheels under it and go to the market, make sure that competition is, what the price point is, and then work it back from there, you know, packaging, uh, the packaging people, really what it costs because packaging is a very large expense uh, when it breaks down on a per pound of cheese or a per hundred weight of milk. Take that all the way right back to, to uh, local regulations. Uh, and it, it takes a lot of work. We spent about two years making phone calls and, and going down the road and taking a left in the, uh, you know, you get to a fork in the road and you decide which one to take and you take that until the next fork in the road. And so we did that and I had, I had a notepad after notepad of, of who to call and phone numbers. And I did that for about six months and uh, kind of uh, very covertly in the, uh, going to the farm office and making calls, you know, 10 or 20 years ago and find one of my brothers says, George, what are you, what are you doing in there? And I found like, well, 
calling around. I'm trying to see about adding value to our milk, getting off the commodity treadmill, taking more control over our, our product. Like, oh, really? And so we better have a meeting about this. So I had a meeting and told them what I was thinking about. And okay, well, they gave me permission to go ahead and keep making more phone calls and then circle up again in a month and told them where I was and they thought it sounded so I asked for permission to, you know, I'll do the morning milking and do the feeding and breed a few cows and then I'm going to go to the phone in the afternoon. Listen or, or Milwaukee to have a meeting and that's uh, what I'm going to do. And uh, they gave us permission to, gave me permission to do that and then brought Debbie home to, to carry it on. And here we are today. Yeah. So, you know, talk a little bit too about, you know, how do you keep the idea fresh. So we already know you're going you're, you're gonna to get, you get bored and then you want to go do something new. So now you've been doing this for yes. quite a few years. So how have you kept yourself really sharp in this industry? Because it sounds like you, you know, started out making a certain type of cheese. It appears that you're still making that type of cheese. So right. what has kept this business exciting and fresh and new for you? What yeah, I think for me, it's it's always getting that that one new customer. It's that other five percent growth, or that's going to give us ten percent growth, that incremental growth that we can handle now. Uh, it's like going fishing. You know, you're going to catch a fish, but it's always exciting. That's why people go fishing. You know, they're not going fishing to watch the bobber go up and down. They want to hook something, and uh, I, I I like throwing the line out there and and seeing what I can get. Uh, I find that exciting. Right now, been doing this for twenty years. I told you, nineteen seventy eight. So you can do do the math. I'm 62 years old, and I know I'm not going to be here forever. And now the, it's exciting to learn, and communication that I've learned is to bring up the next generational leaders. That's in my family of, of generational leaders or people that are in the building. The mm -hmm. man I hired four years ago, and he has the, the potential, and I sit down with him, and I tell him, you know, you have a big future here going to do i'm going to help you be a better leader we're going to have meetings i'll show you how we talk to people how we conversate it's not about getting mad it's not about being wrong it's about making the cheese and making sure he's making good cheese I like to tell people it's not about you it's not about me it's about the cheese whenever we talk it's going to be about the cheese and how to make a good safe uh consistent product for the customer that they're expecting we don't we're not a big operation i tell people always sell is quality that's that's our our emphasis yeah, so you now have gone from one cheesemaker to you now have, how many cheesemakers on staff do you have now? Well, licensed cheesemaker, there's four of us. Four. Yes, there's four of us, and I have a couple more people that I'm trying to uh, get, get their license. In Wisconsin, um, you have to have a license to make cheese. You can be a floor operator and a packaging person, but there always has to be a licensed cheesemaker on a facility when we're making cheese and a pasteurizer operator. Our niece Beth works with us in customer service and quality now, and we're excited to have her, you know, develop her professionalism over the year, next couple of years, and and have a big part in the future here as Debbie and I pull back a little bit. Uh, we step back once in a while, and I pressure test our systems here. Uh, when we come back from a little long weekend, you know, if no one's not waiting at the door for us and there aren't no one's back come in, then I figure that they must have figured it out, which is always good. That's fine. You know, can we get away and everything's going good? And I feel confident we're at that point right now. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that that's one thing that a lot of owners don't always think about is we're going to get into something because it's exciting and fun, but then they are, they don't really create that sustainability plan 
into how do we carry that forward when maybe we want to back away from it a little bit. Right. What, what do you, how have you kept a pulse on what the market demands? I know you are, you know, working with distributors that keep you educated and bring messaging from the ultimate end user, but what are some other things that you do in terms of, you know, just keeping up with what's going on with packaging and regulations and maybe new trendy things that are happening around cheese and food? Right. Well, there's a lot of publications, just like there is in agriculture, any business, it's, it's, it's surprising or shocking how many publications there are uh, from deli business to retail watch to uh, manufacturing type of magazines. So you page through all those. You don't read every article, but you try to find it. You know, Debbie's really good at paging through them. and I page through them. And I look at uh, big trends, kind of a big trend person, um, uh, because you can get really off track if you pay attention to many of the small things, the, the, the small trends. Uh, can be very distracting, and I don't think we can uh, waste our time in, in that or uh, uh, our energy in a lot of the small little tiny trends. But if a continuous trend, you know, a lot of small trends end up to be a bigger trend. But I, for us, it's getting to the food shows. We'll go to San Francisco, New York, Denver, Florida, uh, Atlanta uh, a couple times a year. And whenever we travel, even if it's on vacation, they're at a food show, we 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 crash grocery stores <laughs> so uh we go in we we check out the pizza aisle we check out the cheese aisle we check out the uh thing else that we want to see that's just general advertising marketing locations of the stores what people are looking for when they stop and pick up a label what are they reading what are they looking for and this is an idea really on the consumer also because uh, living out here in waterloo wisconsin we have a piggly wiggly and it's a nice little store but Consumers are on the east and west coast. Uh, mm -hmm. Population is, and uh, those are the trends. And that large population is this we're going to make and who's and what they're going to consume. Mm -hmm. So when you do those grocery stores, how often do you see something that you and Debbie go, "Oh my gosh, we've got to go back and we've got to do that"? Does it happen often, or is it more of just a double check on what you're getting from your distributors to make sure that you are getting? factual information and you're just kind of doing a double check? Well, it gives us, it, if, if it's something we think we should be doing, we'll come back and we, we make phone calls and we ask questions and we say, we saw this, we saw this label, we saw this color, or it evaluates what we're doing as far as color and labeling and packaging. You know, auto dealers roll out new models every couple of years, not because their old models were bad, it's just that new is exciting and mm -hmm. so looking for something new and exciting. So we're always checking that out. And if it's a matter of just changing the label or the size or going from a 10 ounce to a 12 ounce or a 12 ounce to an eight ounce, maybe that's going to be the trend we have to do. And one thing we learned is that uh, you're going to be asked to do a lot of things by your distributors. You never have the right size. You might not ever have the right box. And so you're constantly uh, changing and evaluating and it's okay to say no for a while, but eventually if you if you want to grow your business, you have to say yes and go along through distribution and marketing. So, we at uh, early on and continue to do that now. And that's where Beth, our niece, sits in customer service. She's labels and changing boxes and take all those customers. We have about 15, 20 different customers that we make cheese for every week. Mm -hmm. People that we um, are answering to. Yeah. What, you know, how has your mindset changed over time from when you were beginning and maybe feeling like you had to give a lot more in order to create some momentum with clients in comparison to how you approach them now. 
has it changed or, or did you, have you found that you've gotten able to sort of control your own destiny a little bit better now that you're more established? Well, yeah, I think I think I sleep a lot better now, and I I hardly when I leave the building, I hardly even think about work anymore, because things are working well. That doesn't mean I'm taking it for granted, but but I try to to work between when I'm here and when I leave, and make sure everything's covered. The customers we have, I I believe they've been long-term customers, which always is reassuring to have them. Don't take it for granted, but you always have to check back in, and we ask for annual meetings with people just to review, get a little bit of FaceTime with them to let them know that we appreciate their business. Is there anything we can do better? Uh, looks like we had a good time last year. We were up 10%, thank you very much. What does next year look like? Have that open communications. And, and that's very important, peace of mind, because I have a board of directors. They're all my brothers and my, my nephew and, and our son. And equally responsible for all the employees we have. We have all 90 employees between the farm and the cheese factory which you talk about where we started in 1978, it was just, I wanted a hundred good cows and that took about two or three people. Now what we have. So, so being responsible to them also, our employees, our school system, our tax base and everything else like that. So you sit back, you step back and you go, okay, this is serious. And we're going to just make sure that uh, I'll go out on the floor a couple hours a day and work with people and walk through the building three, four times a day and see everybody, everyone I, that works here, I know their, I know their name. I think that's important. Yeah. And uh, so, so that's how I continue the momentum and positive and gives me energy. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the dynamics of, of, you know, your family, because, you know, I think some people might think, well, if we're going to go into this other venture, you know, I'm definitely not going to work shoulder to shoulder with my spouse. And you and you made a conscientious decision to, pull Debbie back and say, come work with us. So talk a little bit about how you work out the boundaries of that, how you keep some autonomy and, you know, probably more importantly, how do you handle it when you don't agree with each other? <laughs> well, we just live down the road. So one of us can go home, but <laughs> we understand each other that she's sales and marketing. Uh, she takes care of that part of it and administration, which she, she enjoys sales and marketing much more than administration. She's looking at, at pulling back from that somewhat and turning that over to, to some new people. But, uh, and I do, the, I do the cheese making and work with employees a lot. You know, she's uh, human resources, but really human, for me, the human resources are going out and talking to someone. You're not coming on time. Uh, we have to look at your vacation slips, et cetera. And I do that. And then also the big picture, capital expenses, uh, how to make the cheese. And one thing from being a farmer, it's uh, that our family's really good at is saying what next and how are we going to do it. The next idea. My dad was always like, yeah, that works, but we can do better. I story that my dad always tried to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And when you get all done, it's like, eh, it's a sow's ear purse, dad. But you know, it's, <laughs> we have it. so that that's, that's where we still are today is always looking for something, the next way to do it. Uh, working with the family as well as the building grows, as the business grows, we're able to expand and get off. You take care of the crops, you take care of the machinery. I'll run the cows, uh, work with, with Jimmy, the hired man, or the, the, the guy that's been with us forever. Now Patrick, our son, is the herd superintendent. And Jordan and Andy are taking over the crops and maintenance, and I'm still at the cheese factory. So, so as you get bigger, you can go out. And so there has to be trust that the people are going to be doing their job in a family. 
the business, even with employees. You have to have a level of training and trust, I think, is, is really the, the key to, to har- harmony. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you, you know, facilitate communication with that many family members and that many employees. Just talk about how do you keep communication flowing and make sure that everybody's learning and getting the messaging that they need. Just talk a little bit about how your family handles that. Well, it's much easier for, I call it that side of the road because that's where the farm is. And uh, so I was fairly disconnected, make some phone calls or see, see a tractor pull up the driveway and I'd make a phone call, hey, what are they doing? Where are they going? Where are they going? Now, I, uh, we have weekly meetings. We tried to have weekly meetings, but uh, like anyone else, you get busy, this person's gone, that person's gone, so it kind of blew up your schedule. Now we have our L10 meetings, which are very, they're, they're dyed in the wool. They, we, every Tuesday at one o'clock, we have L10 meetings and uh, go through the prescription of how to handle the meetings. And it's very good because we still notice after doing these for a year that we, someone will say, hey, you know, how much cheese are we making next week? <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> and so uh, it gives you a better format for having meetings. Did not grow up in a family where you had meetings. You had meetings as you're going out the driveway or coming into the barn or while you were milking and usually across the driveway, you know, as uh, uh, how a lot of farmers have their, have their meetings, tell people what to do or ask for help. And, and uh, we're much uh, too big a group to do that type and uh, too, too large of a opportunity for miscommunication. So it has to be very deliberate and sit down and, get a cup of coffee if you want one it's after lunch and uh just chill out for an hour or two and uh if you stick to a very strong formula then the meetings don't take for long it's coming no surprises there's no ambushing if you would say so mm-hmm. and that's always good yeah so you know talk just give some advice to our listeners because i know right now you know innovation is a buzzword right everybody's talking about innovate change grow diversify you know, get out of the commodity wheel. You know, there's a lot of talk in agriculture about, you know, trying to figure out the, the new way to bring product to market. So in your opinion, give our listeners this kind of your, your down and dirty top tips. If somebody's sitting there super frustrated and saying, we've got to do something, and, and maybe it's because they're not really happy with, with how things are going, but maybe they're also wanting to bring more family members into the farming operation and they know they need to create more value to be able to support that. So give, give maybe your top tips about how someone should approach that if they're sitting there, you know, right now today with no real idea of what to do. They just know they need to, or want to do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question because early on, even when we started building the barn, when we built our first freestall barn in 89, it was very, very cutting edge type of barn. We had people coming in from all over the Midwest, bringing their kids and, and uh, looking at the barn and wondering if cows would lay down on freestalls or they'd eat a total mixed ration. And like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. They'll, you know, you build a barn this way, use this design. And then they said, who's going to own this in 10 years? You know, the 25 year old son would come in and the 45 year old father, I said, who's going to own this in 10 years? Who's going to manage it? That would always stop them because that's talking about more than just how big a combine do we need? You know, how, how big a mixer do we need? Those are easy. Those are the easy answers. What are you going to make and who's going to manage it? Where are you going to sell it? Are they always the tough ones? And I think those are tough, tough uh, uh, 
answers out there and difficult answers to come up with out there in rural America right now. And I feel that's why people are frustrated. Uh, we've, we, uh, we, most of us belong to co-ops, co-op or an end user co-op, or maybe both. I think we need to demand more out of our co-ops to capture more of the consumer dollar. Uh, that sounds easy, but I feel that that's really the, the downfall of, a, of a rural America is we just not getting enough of the consumer dollar return to, to our local townships and our local mailboxes. Um, I would say that if you're looking at trying to add value, what is it you have? If you have pigs or if you have uh, steers or dairy cattle, not easy to add value to that because it takes processing. It takes marketing, direct marketing, a, a couple of steers, okay? We can do that. Most people do that. But is it going to be enough to bring the next generation in? And I think that's, that's, the, that's the challenge. I would think that those conversations have to start very early on before the son goes off to college and wants to, wants to go back to the farm. There has to be some discussions about that. And I know that we did that in our family also. My dad sold out in 74, as I said earlier, but when we wanted to start farming again, he kind of took us and said, I don't recommend it, guys. It's not a, it's a, you know, I know you guys like it, but it's not easy. And we said, yeah, but we, we think we can do better. And uh, talk to your neighbors, go to neighbors and look for opportunities to work with them and partner and reduce machinery costs. Look at, look at, you know, becoming more efficient that way. I think for us, it's always about margin, managing your margin, not necessarily managing the market. The market's only going to give you so much in your margin. And, uh, you know, that's, that's about all I can really say. Yeah. Everyone's such a different situation and, and in your location too. Yeah. Like a small town or on a highway, you have more opportunities or out in the middle of a big prairie somewhere. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, talk about how agritourism plays into your model, because I know you have people coming down the road all the time, and talk about how you've incorporated, you know, people's curiosity for what you're doing into your farming business. Yeah, well, early on, right from the beginning, uh, just some of the, the touring that we did, we talked to some cheese factories that had uh, stores and offered tours. Some, it was a big part of their business because they could capture the, the retail market right right for out of their cheese vat and other ones said it they never had what the customer wanted cheese and you have to make grilled cheese sandwiches and you have to have uh, t-shirts and you have to have uh, stupid uh, cheese hats and uh, and then you have to also man it when you have a store or cheese or a bag tourism someone has to be there and, and bring it value so we do not have a store and we do not have a, a cheese, uh, egg tourism business per se. We have enough going on without, without uh, not to say we won't in the future. If a family member wants to come back and finds that that's part of their, our marketing arm and it brings value, always has to bring value, just not exercise. You want to exercise, join the health club. But uh, if it brings value or one or two people can be employed off of that, that other entity and that other uh, enterprise, I think it has some real validity. I really do. If people are only willing to pay so much for milk and so much for, for pork chop, then sell them something else. Sell them the sizzle. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're just always evaluating where and what people might want or need or be willing to buy or travel to you to get it. And you're just constantly evaluating that and being open to new things. I think so. I think if I have a strength, it, it is that I, I hear 
what people say and I, and I constantly filtering that and putting it in different boxes and I maybe have the skill or the, the gift to be able to recall that and, and line it all up and have it make sense and, uh, and use it maybe 20 years later. So said that I, I remember that and then you go back and evaluate instead. I'm just not a, I'm, for what we have, it sounds like I'm a hip shooter, but I'm very calculated. Yeah. I so, might shoot hip, but I might shift, shoot from the hip, but I aim really good down there. So. <laughs> so, so, you know, do you have any short, short range plans for expanding or doing anything bigger than what you're doing right now? Or is where you're at yeah. a, kind of a sweet spot? Have you hit a good pace? Well, our expansion 2000, 2017, 2018, uh, a lot of that was just to give us more room to expand internally inside the building. Uh, I learned that you, you building the walls isn't expensive. And the ends of the building are expensive. Putting the equipment in the building is where the real expense is. So build a building big enough so you can work with inside of it once, it, once it's uh, finished. And we put in much larger equipment and faster and more efficient equipment. So now we can really turn out that it gives us probably another 40% capacity in volume than we were just uh, back in 2017. So uh, continue to grow the business. Someone that comes in here and sitting in this chair in five years from now, if they have an opportunity and the, the family and the board of directors decides that's what we want to do and they can handle it, and they can have at it. But, you know, as I say, my, my goal here is to run for three more years and, and help um, shepherd in the next of leaders and, and be here as an advisor in the future. And say, yeah, we tried that before. It doesn't mean it's not going to work this time, but here's what we learned from that. Here's where you have to uh, you know, keep your eyes open. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you one last thing. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about transitioning because you've mentioned that a couple of times. Um, sometimes when we're working with producers, they're like, well, you know, I'm not planning on retiring because I don't know what else to do and I don't play golf. So you are, you know, you and Debbie are, you know, planning your transition now. What has made the thought of transitioning easier? Is it because you have hobbies outside? Um, is it because you've known you've done a good job and the business is in good shape? But Talk to me a little bit about the preparation for transition and what, what you have done to make sure that your mindset is healthy to be able to let go of the reins and pass that to the next group of leaders. I think the, the first step is, is to, to know who's going to take over for you. We're all going to be replaced. The Hall of Fame is full of people that were replaced and, uh, and we're going to be replaced someday. So you just get used to that. I think for me, it's always, it's, bringing in people and working with them. I'm fortunate to have good people. I'm fortunate to, to have room for people in the building and, and find spots for them that they excel in and that makes them valuable and, and that brings me peace of mind. And as Debbie and I, we, we have a lot of outside interests. Most of them are just uh, meeting people and uh, relaxing, a little bit of golf, a lot of traveling and, and we enjoy that. Not that we're going to do that full time, but I, I think uh, future gives you it gives you peace of mind knowing that there's there's what we're doing right now. And I think that's a big part saying what are we going to do? I would suggest that people that say, you know, I'm not going to quit farming. I'm just going to keep going. That's OK. But really, who's going to be making the decisions? And someday you won't be there. And, and who how is it? What's your legacy going to be? You have a son. And a, or a daughter or a neighbor or a nephew, uh, 
give them an opportunity to spread their wings and you can step back and you go to the house a couple hours earlier, let them take a few more trips around the field uh, because uh, they will be doing it someday. Yeah. Well, George, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you or connect with you in some way, how would they do that? Well, I'm George at CraveCheese.com uh, and my phone number's on there and uh, send me an email. Uh, I'm not an advisor. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a priest or a lawyer, but I can, uh, I, I appreciate giving people a few little tidbits. If they have a question, I don't mind answering them because people have helped me along the way directly intentionally and, and, uh, not intentionally, but I think that's the only way we learn is by other people. Yeah. Or, or talk to people. So people have any questions are welcome to get a hold of me at George at cravecheese.com. We have a nice website also at cravecheese.com and uh, a lot of videos. And uh, we've been fortunate to get a, a quite a bit of uh, media attention, the news and had some TV shows about us and, and some of those are online also. Yeah. So what we'll do for everybody who's listening is um, all of George contact information will be in the show notes along with, you know, their social media accounts. George's daughter does a very good job of documenting George's antics around the globe as they go from <laughs> cheese show to cheese show. So, if, you know, we'll make sure that, that everybody can get a hold of that very easily and uh, they can at least, if nothing else, follow you on social media and see what the Crave Brothers are up to and what their yeah. next innovation is going to be. Yeah, thanks. We are a family business and we want to maintain that. Our, our family, our son Brian is at the Cheese Factory. He's a Light Wisconsin licensed cheese maker. Uh, our, our niece Beth and our daughter Roseanne's a senior at Madison right now, and we have hopes that she'll come back and, and help really uh, foster and take the business into the future. Yeah, that's awesome. We're going to be very interested in watching what she's going to be up to in the next few years. So okay. thank you so much, George. I appreciate your time very much. And for all of you listening, we'll talk to you again very soon on Ag Inspo. This is Rena Striggle, and you have been listening to Ag Inspo, the podcast. Please visit my website at tomorrowiscoming.com and find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspirational episode where you will hear from another amazing entrepreneur who has had the courage to break through and bring an idea to life.